The conflict between Russia and Ukraine began in 2014 and escalated into a full-scale invasion by Russia in 2022. Despite efforts to negotiate peace, the situation has worsened, leading to significant human suffering. Ukraine launched a counteroffensive in 2023, facing challenges, but making progress. The conflict has strained international relations and has impacted global stability. The UN reports thousands of civilian casualties, millions displaced, and ongoing challenges in providing aid. Stay tuned for further developments. Hello and welcome to our show. This is Will System and David Irons. And today we have Igor Hefe from uh, Blue Yellow USA, nonprofit organization that supports efforts in Ukraine against the current Russian invasion. And uh, he's here with us all the way from Chicago today, joining us in our studio in Kansas City to talk about his experience helping support troops in Ukraine against mm -hmm. the Russian invasion and to help us kind of understand what's happening out there on the ground. Uh, Igor, welcome. So glad to have you in the studio today. Yeah, welcome, Igor. I'm glad to be here. I know you have a lot to share with us today about everything that you've had a chance to see when you were out there in Ukraine uh, doing your work, you know, having yeah. your feet on the ground out there in the community mm -hmm. and supporting the troops. Yeah. Thank you very much for having me here and Blue Yellow USA. I appreciate you inviting me to speak about our activity and represent them in, on your show. Thanks a lot. That's very nice. That's very nice. Okay, so let's go ahead and jump into our interview here, Igor. First and foremost, if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself, you know who you are. Tell us a little bit about you and what's got you motivated to doing this and, and what helped you embark on this experience. Well, personally, I got really pissed off at the whole situation that in the 20, what is it, 21st century, uh, uh, in in the middle of the Europe, how is it possible that one country, one nation can just, you know, go at war against another nation because they want their land? It's it's incomprehensible for me that's in civilized world that now uh, now we can have the war in Europe. And it's really got me pissed off. My, uh, my cousins were, um, that I never met, um, they got stuck in the middle of the war in Kiev during the invasion while they were visiting their mother. And you're Ukrainian, correct? Yes, I was born in Ukraine. Originally, um, Ukraine was part of the Soviet Union. So mm, right. uh, I am uh, Jewish by my ethnic background which is Jewish. In mm -hmm. in Europe, it's completely different. Here we think of Jewish being religion. There, it's your ethnic roots and your um, philosophy and your religion. Because right. Soviet Union was an atheistic country, and that still you had Jews, right? So this was personal for you. So yeah, so it was partly uh, a personal because of my cousins, partly partly philosophically. Because that's uh, BS that uh, something like that can happen here and now at this day and age, yeah. and uh, because um, this is just not fair, and you know somebody decided, okay, give me that land, and I'm gonna uh, gonna go right after it. So right. I mean, with, with, without negotiating, without nothing, killing innocent people in the process, and it's like. And uh, I didn't feel there was much different from Putin attacking, attacking Ukrainians like that because he needed Crimea or he wanted Crimea or he, for whatever reason. You know. 
they've been messing with uh, Ukraine for a while. Like historically, even before all of, all of this, they've been just Russia. <laughs> well, know? yeah, because if you look at Putin's philosophy, he wants to uh, restart Soviet Union, and that's wh- mm-hmm. uh, what I left. That's, that's why you left. Yeah, so we need to help people um, have their own voice and live in the country peacefully. Igor, tell, tell me a little bit more about yourself. You just said to us right now that you, um, you know, you left Russia. Um, I left Soviet Union. You left the Soviet Union. Oh, okay. So I left Soviet Union and when Ukraine was part of the Soviet Union. And uh, this Putin's idea of recreating Soviet Union is... Uh, is Yes, <laughs> I mean it, it, it's it's mm-hmm. not right uh, denying people their right to self determination. You know, if they don't want uh, by by force, basically what they did uh, in the, during the civil war in nineteen what is it twenty twenty two. Yeah, they're redoing it right now. Wow. I mean, historically they've done the same thing over and over. It's part of a playbook. The way they do Ukraine, the USSR, and right now. Putin. I mean, I see where you're coming from. Yeah. You know, and, and when I think about it, you know, what if this was, you know, our home country, Mexico? You know, I think that if anybody found themselves in that situation, you know, where their motherland or fatherland or whatnot were being invaded um, blatantly in, in front of the world stage, I think they would probably, if they were in a situation, do whatever they can. I think if I had the means and the time, uh, I would go and, and, and fight. You know, I would definitely put up arms for this country for sure. And in fact, when I was talking to Ukrainians over there, I got a perception that this was not a war of uh, um, Putin against uh, Zelensky. Mm -hmm. It was uh, Ukrainian people who rose up and started fighting uh, themselves because uh, it didn't seem like a regular units like police or military were um, organized or well organized to the degree that needed to stop the invasion. It was just uh, villagers <laughs> with literally pitchforks, and you saw the mm-hmm. pictures of yeah. Molotov cocktails yeah. being prepared by by grandmothers and yeah. children, tearing up the styrofoam and all that other yeah, stuff. Yeah. Everybody's uh, everybody's helping with whatever they can, you know, whether through food or through assistance, resources. Well, I, uh, as I was saying earlier, that my cousins were stuck there. So uh, using Biocarbon 13 and our um, social media platform, we started mm-hmm. advertising or asking our friends on this platform to send us money so we can send it to my cousins who got stuck there. And they, in turn, started doing volunteer work to s- because they didn't have a job. There was like disruptions in water and food and they were asking for some help to buy water and food and to give their neighbors and then they start helping the soldiers who were defending Kiev and um, Biocarbon 13 you know by the way Biocarbon 13 is your band yeah like you guys uh, play in Chicago you know pretty badass shows we are from Chicago, but we now start uh, to uh, to play other places, not just Chicago. We were invited to do the East Coast tour, West Coast tour. Nice. We played with a Sika uh, on, um, on on the West Coast, uh, Upper Seattle, uh, Vancouver, Portland uh, mm. dates. Wow. 
and then we we doing some East Coast dates too. So you've been all over the uh, Biocarbon is getting big. <laughs> uh, by the way, you were letting you, you were telling us that uh, you used uh, your major influence, being the leader of Biocarbon Thirteen, to actually get the people more interested in the uh, in the effort. Right, because uh, um, uh, the people who like Biocarbon Thirteen, and I call them our friends, because a lot of them I get to know through the shows. Um, they when they follow you know us on Instagram or Facebook or whatever mm -hmm. um, X now uh, <laughs> maybe triple X <laughs> but X videos uh, <laughs> right uh, I mean nothing on that so uh, we were just telling them what That's I was doing and uh, they start uh, you know sending us some money buying our T-shirts and we can transfer the funds that we raise from our selling of our merch into support and things and that people on the ground in Ukraine need like food, water, you know, ba ba and right now it's winter, so it's winter clothes, warmth, uh, fuel for generators. Blue Yellow USA is um, uh, is a uh, one of my co-workers. Um, she learned about what Barcarbon uh, Thirteen doing, and she was going like, "Why do you do this? Doing it by myself?" And she said, "You know, my organization, Blue Yellow USA, I've ah. been doing it from 2019." And she said, wow. "You know, why, uh, we already have an organization. We have wow. a uh, logistical support. We actually have a sister organization that we're related to, but not quite a kind of we're affiliating with them." Um, Blue Yellow Lithuania that started in 2014 when the invasion of Donbass happened and so they had all this knowledge behind them and they said you know you don't need to learn it what we already know and use uh, why don't you just help us and become part of our effort so that's where I joined Blue Yellow USA went to Ukraine to do the mission that they need it's, to do there. It's kind of crazy that, you know, you mentioned Don Bosk since the year 14. I mean, and like a lot of people don't 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 really remember that one. It wasn't very well advertised on the media right here in the United States. Uh, it was just something that just happened. And then later on, you've got Crimea. They kept it and the world let it happen. Reminds me, of, uh, reminds you of World War Two, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. And wow. now they're back at it again, trying to I don't know how uh, Czechoslovakia was, you know, pretty yeah. much given given away. Yeah, Czechoslovakia in the name of peace. Then I think. And, and, and all of this even uh, goes back centuries. Well, these kind of how far do you want to go? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. How was your flight, by the way, Igor? To or from? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, the flight there was uh, was pretty cool. I, I took with me a, a sea bag that I uh, used, my family used 45 years ago when we just left Soviet Union. So I decided it would be a <clears throat> appropriate to take it back and <laughs> drop it off from where it came from. Um, uh, it, it didn't make it. <laughs> it it, it <laughs> fell apart uh, uh, when I got to to, uh, to uh, where did I get to first? Oh yeah, Warsaw. So first uh, I landed in Warsaw, 
And then uh, I, I spent a week in Lithuania. There was a conference of the uh, NGOs. And that's where I had to find a replacement for the duffel bag. <laughs> Awesome. But it was cold. But then I took uh, buses uh, to the border of uh, Poland and uh, um, went through Poland, Lithuania, Poland, Ukraine. And then I took mm. a train in, in Lviv. And uh, that's where I had my first Ukrainian beer on Ukrainian soil. And mm. What do they got over there as uh, far as beers? Um, they actually have a, a good a variety of pilsners and i'm a pilsners guy oh. i love uh pilsner and uh they had old Lviv there and uh so i was uh, i was in a restaurant and i was thinking like i'm gonna have like borscht or what, what what what's the ukrainian fast food would be i was amazed there was like all sorts of salads like a, they call it greek salad what we call like pre-salad it's kind of like a greek uh salad that a lot of um variety of uh, cabbage was different thingy majigas and um yeah so we had a beer we bought our tickets i had my salad had a schnitzel they do have a schnitzels there oh. uh, it's like breaded uh, steak with cutlet of chicken or pork or veal mm. and then off to kia well uh, the prices depends on uh what we're talking about like uh, they don't make much money do they compare you know for us the prices there are like super cheap mm. for them it's not but um you know the car of pri- uh, the price of car is the same as as it is here so not everybody can afford cars mm. so when i was there uh, i was i was doing pretty good because uh, to me it looks everything looks reasonable like for example train ride from lviv to kiev or any place it's like around between 20 to 30 dollars mm-hmm. which is like next to nothing and that's like eight to ten hour ride so people take a you know they bike they take public transportation and uh, mostly most of them mostly public transportation bicycles a lot of walking a lot of walking. Oh, so they, they stay healthy then oh i haven't seen one overweight person <laughs> by our step no but uh, nothing close to a beast so i haven't seen anybody overweight everybody seemed to be very fit like what we have uh the, our perception of a beast person like 200 300 pound oh, person <laughs> or plus I haven't seen once everybody was you know pretty fit you know and, and you would think that it's weird because uh, of our perception of Eastern European uh, cuisine being, mm. you know, sausages, yeah, you know, pork bellies of all sorts, which is true. Yeah, but that I think they that, eat. I think people over there overall just live more active lifestyles. I think than yeah. what we tend to here yeah. in the states. Yes, they do. They do. Plus, what they eat is is really good, really good quality. Well, can you tell us a little bit about Blue Yellow USA, who they are, what they do, just kind of their overall mission and, and what you do with them as a volunteer? Blue Yellow USA uh, were organized um, in 2019 uh, by um, my core worker, as I said. Her name is Ashra. She's Lithuanian, so she's very active in the Lithuanian community. And um, uh, the Lithuanian organization Blue Yellow Lithuania asked her to organize something similar in the United States to help the effort. 
to repel uh, Putin's aggression. So Blue Yellow Lithuania, in turn, uh, was organized in 2014, much earlier by a guy who was a Lithuanian, who is a Lithuanian activist and uh, uh, was uh, supporting Ukrainian military and effort in um, uh, during invasion of Donbass and Donetsk. They, unlike us, provide all type of uh, support from lethal to humanitarian to Ukrainians. Blue Yellow USA only provide humanitarian aid to right. people affected by the war, uh, civilians as well as military. What is Blue Yellow asking from people, especially Blue Yellow USA versus Blue Yellow uh, Lithuania? Well, uh, people on the ground right now need a lot of things. There's a lot of people who got bummed out of their house, especially in the, um, uh, along the front line. And uh, these constant bombardments that, uh, uh, with drones that come from mm-hmm. Russia destroys um, you know, people's apartment and houses and um, uh, infrastructure, mm-hmm. electricity, heat, hot water. These things need to be repaired. And uh, while well, you can repair the pipelines and restart the factory or generate it or, or bypass it somehow in the grid, the building where you live or your house, it's hard to rebuild, especially when I remember I told you that earlier that they don't make much money. So they don't have resources to, uh, you know, put out an, another few thousand dollars to patch the hole in the roof. So that's where mm-hmm. Blue Yellow USA comes in mm-hmm. to give them um, something like simple as like a plastic, the nails, the uh, um, procured two-by-twos and the shingles to, to repair, patch their roofs. Or, or for example, uh, just yesterday, I got um, a request from the soldiers who were under bar- bombardment and the white phosphorus got um, showered their position and their sleeping bags got all burned out. So they, wow. they need uh, some sleeping bags to keep warm and to sleep at night and you know some simple things like that like band-aids basic literally day-to-day necessities so 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 at some point you decided to put your money in your mouth and and you decided to go out to ukraine and and volunteer out there so tell us about that experience i like what you said put your money in your mouth i mean yes i'm one of those guys who was pissed off and uh, would say like how bad it is how impossible we should do something about it and it's just sitting on the couch and saying that to yelling at tv doesn't seem to be productive so i um i just couldn't stay still how did it happen it's just like anything else. You just put one foot in front of the other, and you before you know, you've walked half a mile, a mile, and then, you know, a hundred miles. The next thing you know, you're in a war zone. <laughs> Which uh, is... A lot of people from across the world have gone in, and uh, they've put in their own two cents. You've got, you've got people who are joining the International Legion. They need medics. They need everything. Now, you don't go in there with, uh, with, a, with a machine gun. You don't go over there to fight. You go over there to help in other ways. So it's basically like an Uber Eats <laughs> kind <laughs> in of a war in a war zone. I need I need a sleeping bag. You guys are right there. I need uh, shingles. I need stuff, building materials. There is no funds to buy the stuff. Exactly, exactly. Our activity range from bringing in stuff from America, like procuring it here, because a lot of things are cheaper here just by the uh, factor of availability. Wow. And it's cheaper to, to buy it here and bring it there. And some of the stuff is available there, so it's more 
economical to buy it there and deliver it to those who need it. Commodities. Right. And um, the other thing you mentioned, something about the front line, define the front line because... It moves. No, what I'm saying is like getting off the couch. <laughs> it's a front line, you know. You, 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 you're, in a, you're in a fight with yourself, with your uh, peripheral factors, like your family needs your attention. So you, uh, you're trying to assess what was my priority. So we have front line everywhere, even within us. The fight, internal struggle to, uh, between inactivity and activity. So you decided to go out to Ukraine and volunteer. You know, you, you I assume you gave your employer a heads up. You gave people a heads up. How did your wife feel about you leaving to go out there? What was that whole experience like when you made the decision to leave? Well, I, uh, for me to make a decision was simplest thing because I just... I was just thinking, you know, can I live with myself 20 years from now uh, knowing that I haven't done anything? So right. that was a simple decision. But the complex was, um, as you said, how's my employer going to look at it? How's my wife and my relatives going to look at it? So I didn't say anything to any of my relatives of my wife till I figured out, am I going? Mm-hmm. Because uh, there was so many things up in the air. For example, I told my employer that because I don't have so much vacation time and I have to pay bills, you know, my family depends on my income. So I had to work out with my employer uh, so that I could work from there in the second shift and volunteer in the first shift. So they, uh, they decided to give me a trial period. It was the uh, first two weeks. And one of the first week where I was supposed to take off as a vacation so I can figure out and settle my office in Ukraine. And then starting the second week, you know, I will work for my employer. And at the end of the second week, we would decide, can I continue or do I have to come back home? So uh, after the second week, um, they gave me a thumbs up. So I continue my work there. So you finally get out there. What is it like when you finally touch base out there in Ukraine? So I bring my duffel back to to the room that uh, I rented or a, com- a company rented for me, drop it off, lay down on the, uh, on the bed and say, God, I had like a 24-hour tra- uh, trip. I'm going to finally chill. Tomorrow I'm going to go back to war. I get a call. We got to immediately have you to extract one of the wounded soldiers American guy who was an international legion. He was in a, a assault troops. He got um, he got really messed up, and he needed to be quote unquote extracted. Basically, helped him to get out of the country, get to the America where he can um, get um, additional medical uh, health, medical assistance. I think isn't it the term convalescence, right? Convalesce. Uh, anyway, so I. I went back, got a ticket uh, online, got online, and uh, next morning at five, I was up at six. Uh, I was at the train station, pick up the guy, met him, got his things, and uh, you know, and ten hours later we, we were in Lviv, where I put him in a hotel room and had him hand him off to the second set of volunteers who would take him from Lviv to the Polish border and on to uh, United States. They pretty much place you where they need you. They're not just like little uh, independent entities that 
go as they that they do as they will. Of course. Uh, otherwise, they'd be counted as mercenaries. No, the uh, the Ukrainian army actually absorbs them and then places them where they need to go. So, what kind of an individual was this one? He was a alpha guy, alpha type of personality. But you attached on something very interesting. It's a sore subject over there: mercenary versus uh, contract, a uh, contractor. Soldier. So he no no not not contract soldier no. soldier who signed a contract with Ukrainian oh, military. Okay, okay. Right, he right, is right. a soldier, but he is a professional soldier. Now the mercenary signs a contract with the private corporation or a private company. That's what is like mercenary. Wa- like Wagner. Mercen- yeah, that's mercenary. So there's a difference between signing contract with a Wagner group or something equivalent of that Blackwater, for example. We're all heard of that, right? Versus signing a contract with the regular military, mm-hmm. where you are a professional soldier, kind of like in uh, in the United States, you signed a contract to be a soldier, and you're professional for what five to six years, depending on your contract. That's right. how this gentleman went to Ukraine, with the same idea that this is messed up, <laughs> this war is not just, and he wanted to be on the side of people and um, justice. So he was there, uh, he was a machine gunner. Engaged in networks, training programs, and strategic planning, Blue Yellow USA performs advocacy work in Congress while collaborating with organizations like the Helsinki Commission. They are also a member of the American Coalition for Ukraine. Your support is crucial. Donate to help Ukraine through Blue Yellow USA. Google Blue Yellow USA to find their website and social media presence, and please, donate. What were some of the tasks that they had you doing as a volunteer out there? Well, that was the first mission to uh, get a guy out, to get him medical attention. The second mission that I went to uh, the warehouse that we have in, and I did the inventory. So me and the other guy, two of us, just recounted every nail and <laughs> and hammer and, you know, had mm-hmm. a pair of pants that, that we had. and All uh, the resources, yes. All the resources. And uh, we, uh, because we need to report to uh, to our donors and to IRS about every penny that we received and how do we spend and who gets it. So my third mission was to fulfill the order from the unit called Carpathian Siege that were preparing for winter and they needed 350 sets of uh, winter gear and we only had about 180 so like what kind of gear is it what do you would think about you would like you would boots uh, uh, yeah but yeah. like military or just like... think about going hiking in the woods you need uh, bottoms uh-huh. you need tops you need the under um, layer base layer you need the winter boots uh, you need gloves you need a hat so we had this was a set hat gloves boots mm. uh, pants uh, I, you know like like um, you know puffy park puffy pants mm-hmm. <laughs> puffy jacket you know things and it's like that and it's worse over so there dear. they don't they obviously don't have the money for that uh, you know because of the not only that they don't have that we had to bring that from United States it doesn't States. even exist in the country it's not like they don't even have the money for it it just does not exist it's there. not enough because you have all these people that were mobilized or drafted to go to war I think drafted is a better term than mobilized 
or volunteered, and but you don't have stuff in the warehouse to give them. Right. You may have a Kalashnikov, but if you're freezing, you're not going to shoot a gun. So exactly. without you have to satisfy basic, uh, basic human needs first before making or counting on a person to be effective to any degree. What kind of people did you meet out there? What kind of folks did you get to interact with out there on the field? I was meeting people who were, first of all, appreciate uh, Westerners who come there during the war to help them. So that was, that put our relationship in, in a special status to begin with. And the second is the people who I meet were themselves, um, like for, maybe, uh, I don't know if I can describe them as an activist, but they were proactively fighting the aggression. Mm -hmm. So themselves, they have a certain mindset. Idealists, but with guns. Right. So, yeah, you're right. I, uh, for example, I'm an idealist without a gun, <laughs> an idealist <laughs> with a gun. <laughs> they put the money where the mouth was based on whatever they could offer for the situation. I imagine you met people from all over the world there. I don't think that uh, that would be accurate because I met... Well, yeah, actually, yeah. I met uh, um, I, I met guys from England and uh, South America, mm -hmm. and uh, they were um, uh, members of the International Legion, and they were like, you know, 20s, early 20s, and they were there just for the same reason, you know, they wanted to go and get some. Yeah, I mean, like, when it happened, I had a, a friend of mine who... Um, He was a, he's a paramedic, well, he used to be a paramedic, uh, an EMT, I think. Um, but yeah, he wanted to to go there and offer those services right off the bat. And uh, the conversation was like, well, what are you going to tell your wife? You think she's going to like it? And I was like, dude, if you go and you get killed, I'm going to fucking kick your ass. Because, uh, yeah, we love you. Then you think about the need that is, ha and especially in those days when you saw the, all those graphic images, a lot of people did actually uh, go beyond just, either making a post about it on the internet they, they they went there in their capacity of course so and it's a great need for for somebody like that for the medics because people uh, get injured or from for their different degrees of injury even <laughs> even even a, a light injury you still need to, somebody to pick you up drag you out of the zero line <laughs> evacuate you to some place where you can be um, trashed or bandaged or, or something and, and it, it just takes uh, you can uh, it's, it takes a car it takes a pair of hands to drag you literally out of there plus they need uh, nurses they, they need everything they, they need hospitals they need... We, we, uh, we do have a team of medics over there and we, we have uh, tr working on forming more teams Uh, because the people, especially around the front lines, um, they're lacking medical uh, um, care because either not enough doctors and, and nurses or doctor and nurses are being um, used elsewhere. So somebody got to, you know, just <laughs> annual regular physical checkup, blood pressure, yes. listening to the lungs, doing like basic urinalysis, uh, blood work. None of this exists there, and most people don't have uh, uh, education or um, uh, facility and facilities to perform these things. So we're looking for anybody who can go and like uh, check up on villagers, 
because you know the regular cold can turn into bronchitis bronchitis can turn can t quickly what were some of the most intense moments that you lived during your stay out there some of the most hairy situations that you may have gotten yourself into out there zero I cannot think of one hairy situation uh, with me there. Well, first of all, I was not even close to front line. The closest place there was was in uh, Kharkiv. And when I was there, air raid sirens were a daily occurrence. Right. Speaking of which, I, I thought that that would freak me out. Absolutely not. It's like your turn, a regular tornado siren. So you go, yeah, all right, tornado siren. <laughs> Where do I seek shelter? <laughs> Right, and then um, uh, there was a couple S three hundreds, three I think uh, came in, and they. Well, what is an S three hundred? S three hundred is modified. Uh, uh, the S three hundred is a is a system that originally was designed to destroy um, airplanes. So air defense is it like system, a, like a dome rocket. system. It's like uh, like imagine Patriot or a dome. Oh, okay, okay. And they were supposed to uh, destroy the uh, airplanes or things that coming in, but uh, Russians uh, modify modified them in to hit uh, ground targets. So the rockets are so fast that you will have them. They will hit the area before the air raid sirens will will go off. Oh, so so they themselves modified the three. Okay, wow. Okay, I see what you're saying. So it's, I heard uh, three of them coming in while I was in Kharkiv, but it was so far away it sounded like a thunder, you know. And then the air raid sirens, and then what else uh, they do uh, during the air raid sirens? They turn off GPS, so you just like. If you if you if you're wow. driving, your GPS goes blank. But why? Well, because uh, uh, so uh, these rockets use GPS to navigate. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, Christ! Uh, that that would be so. So by turning off GPS, you're you're reducing the possibility of the drones or rockets hit, hitting the target themselves. Interesting. Interesting. What was life out there? What were people like? What was daily life out there? You know, one thing that shocked me when I was there, you know, how safe it was. Let me put it to you this way. I, I'm from Chicago, right? So when I go down the street in Chicago neighborhood, I feel in more danger than I felt in Ukraine. Be because, you know, you, you walk around and you kind of feel that somebody is like, scoping you out and you know can, uh, can you heard about all the robberies that are going on in chicago it's like it becomes speaking of the war zone Wh where's the war zone i was in uh, in every city in Ke uh, in ukraine never felt like uh, somebody is uh, gonna attack me or rob me and i'm a westerner yeah of, of course and and like you mentioned you were not uh near the near the front line but every other city that was uh, safe. I mean, and that's a uh, you know, quote unquote safe. Regular life. You know, it was just regular life. Like people actually kept on living, regardless. Well, I, 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 I guess you know, another thing that shocked me. I thought that I, as a Westerner, will stick out as a, like a sore thumb. Mm -hmm. I need to figure out how to pronounce that. Sore, sore thumb. <laughs> yeah, but no, I I blend in. Look just like everybody else. Everybody dressed nice. Everybody is. Um, purposeful, 
not sad, not... Uh, they're upbeat. They're they a bit. Very optimistic. Uh, young people still dance, still party. Uh, there is a very wide um, variety of cultural activities that going on all the time. Mm -hmm. They are very uh, LGBT friendly. I mean, that was open everywhere. Uh, they um, listen to Western music. They have their own bands. Uh, I came to uh, our, you know, Western bands, other than the language, their electronic music is, uh, is phenomenal. They're actually right. more into electronic music there than we're here. Yeah, they love their electronic stuff. So, I, I mean, it, it was very shocking. same food or everything this I don't know about GMO and all that stuff I'm not talking about that but uh, but you can find a cabbage <laughs> you can find all the food all type of food that you do here over there I read an article that you can still find good sushi oh yeah I went to the, the well they're not very they're very not politically correct <laughs> at least that that is not uh, their forte but uh, nobody seemed to care <laughs> I mean, that's another thing. Nobody cares if you're not politically correct. I mean, but there, I found a sushi place in Kharkiv really good. It was fantastic. Wow. I mean, it was called the Poshka, which is kind of a little bit derogatory for a way of saying Japanese, but um, or a Japanese person. But it's kind of like <laughs> diminutive, uh, you know. But it was not oh, offensive. See, I know what see, you that, mean. That's the thing. Like the same thing in Mexico. There's, it, it just happens uh, because in literally in Mexico, there's only Mexicans. So whenever we're talking there's about there's not like, a lot of political correctness. Well, uh, uh, more, mostly. Well, they're all Ukrainians. They're all uh, like, well, well, well. What is Ukrainian, Ukrainian actually? Ukrainian, uh, Ukraine is multi-ethnic uh, country, like United States. You, you have a, a lot of different ethnicities. And but somehow this lack of political correctness is not mean. It's just kind of like everybody knows who they are. Like um, Crimean Cossacks know that they are Crimean Cossacks, or uh, Tatars know that they are Tatars, or they they Jews, you know, Jews. Uh, they are fine. They're fine so with they, being. So they coexist. They coexist, and there is no animosity, or at least I did not perceive an animosity between them. I, I'm sure there is some, oh, got so to be. So but it's kind of like if you, like, I, I'm a Jew and I came uh, here because I was escaping anti Semitism. And I was looking for that there. But, you know. As soon as I said, okay, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm born here, I'm born here, so I'm a Jew. In, in your language, it's Jed. So, <laughs> and, and they were like, um, they had no problem with that. Okay, cool. <laughs> so, so, you're a Jew. I'm, a, I, I'm Ukrainian uh, Christian. So, all right. What 
type of relationships that you form out there with people? What kind of bonds did you forge? Uh, it's kind of like like here, you know, other than my ability to speak the language and mm-hmm. um, which is actually another interesting thing. A lot of young people speak English, so if you don't speak Ukrainian or Russian, you're going to be fine. First thing that I noticed that, uh, and it kind of makes sense, when I would start talking to them, I tried to um, use my Ukrainian, which was like rusty after 40-some years, uh, like terrible. <laughs> and then they realized, okay, fine, just speak Russian. <laughs> you know, I can understand the Ukrainian, um, maybe 98, 99% of it. But uh, speaking was tough. So obviously you speak in Ru- you speak Russian. Yeah, my family speak Russian. The, uh, okay, let me backtrack. For most of the Ukrainians, except uh-huh. extreme West, spoke Russian fluently. That was the first language. And mm-hmm. so it was me, my family. After this invasion, everybody switched, just like, turn a switch on, and everybody uh, starts speaking Ukrainian, and they refused to speak Russian. When did they switch? After this the, specific? The two years ago, where, where, when okay. the Putin attacked. So in other words, the Ukrainian language has coexisted with the Russian language, and for the most part, everybody speaks Russian over there. Right. And when the war in Ukraine began, or the conflict began, when the invasions began, the invasions began yeah. That's when everybody uh, became more of a... They, they said uh, F you, and they switched to they, they, they Ukrainian. Just, they just refused. They Russia, and then there's like, no more Russian, but they'll let you speak with Russian. Yeah, you, yeah. And they'll understand you, obviously. Oh, yeah, yeah. They, they fully understand. And some of them uh, uh, reply in Ukrainian, and others just go like, oh, hell, it would be easier to speak with him in Russian. But, you know, the other thing that I kind of, like, brought up to uh, some there, don't forget that, you know... Um, Mozart and Hitler were both Austrian, and then Himmler and Goethe were Germans. So let's not <laughs> mix up that uh, where you're you know, from personality makes, makes and the language, you know, the culture and the people who are doing the atrocity are two different things. Correct, correct. I, I mean, me as a Jew, as a, that I am a child of Holocaust survivors, to me it was like my parents who lived through World War II. But I, I, I had that thing about uh, Germany and Germans till I met Germans, till, till I've been to Germany, and not, uh, till I've been to Austria, and then now I'm able to m- make a difference between the two polarizing philosophies and point of view, speaking on the same language, using the same language. So it's, it's important for us to forget, not to mix two things together. And of course, when we talk about uh, intelligence and all that stuff, there's they they don't care. They they do as they want. But uh, no, yeah, I I wouldn't. I would. I'm gonna stay out of that one. <laughs> well, this is their job. <laughs> I don't want to get uh, suicide by two bullets in the back of the head. <laughs> do you plan on going back out to Ukraine anytime soon? I uh, I would like to. I uh, actually I would like to. Uh, talk to um, uh, the contacts that I made there in the music community and organize maybe a tour of Ukraine for Bar Carbon 13. My wife is a member of the band, so it would give us a reason to be together and travel Ukraine. I wanted for her to see where I'm from, and I did see, uh, found a building where, uh, buildings where I lived while growing up in Ukraine. And uh, I would like for her to see it.
How did uh, going out there and volunteering for Blue Yellow USA change you? What did you learn from that experience? Blue Yellow USA is an entity that I am proud to be a part of, and I uh, and I I wish, uh, um, and that's what we're doing here, uh, that more people learn about them, and definitely there is uh, enough need for in Ukraine for everybody wishing to assist uh, physically or in any way, materially, uh, there is room. Uh, it kind of made me look at uh, us, what we're doing in the States, a little bit different because I saw people, for example, uh, the, those three explosions. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, two days later, you cannot see a sight or evidence that it happened. People come together, they cleaned it up, they uh, cleaned the streets, mm-hmm. they uh, cleaned the rebel, the, uh, the people who were wounded, you know, got whatever care they can provide but life went back to normal they, they uh, the, the the people went back to real life And if you really wanted to do something good while learning about the country, contact Blue Yellow USA and we'll set you up with a mission. <laughs> and it's tax deductible. Just go to our website and uh, or contact me and tell the people in Blue Yellow USA how you think you can help. Can you travel? Can you travel to Ukraine? Can you donate things? Can you help us raise money? Can you donate money? We we can use help in every way. For example, one of the things that we could help, uh, uh, could use help is legal help. For example, we just learned that uh, there is a lot of uh, grants that are um, statewide and uh, federal level, UN grants, available for for companies or you know organizations like ours wow. for to that end so if uh, you have that kind of knowledge and can help us in writing grants please we we can use that and you can provide lethal non-lethal aid well, we're only providing non-lethal, non-lethal aid. aid and that goes for food that goes for medication supplies that goes for Training, uniforms, even training, training logistical yeah. needs. Everything that, that does not involve uh, a direct, um, you know, destructive activity. <laughs> so I can't, I can't give them a, a stick with a nail through it. Well, uh, we can use the nail. <laughs> we can use the stick. Depends how you can use it, you know. There you go. <laughs> For more information, you can look up Blue Yellow Ukraine USA at fobluyellowukraineusa.org. That's F as in Frank, O as in Oscar, bluyellowukraineusa.org. And you can definitely look up the organization, find out a little bit more about how they support efforts out there in Ukraine against the Russian aggression, a little bit more about their background and how they operate in the region and the kinds of services that they provide for folks during this time of need out there in Ukraine. You can also simply Google Blue Yellow USA and you should be able to also get our presence on Instagram, Facebook, um, uh, X, which used to be called Twitter, you know, as well as the homepage. Uh, you can definitely look up the International Legion for the Defense of Ukraine. There'll be 
more than happy to take volunteers out there for boots in the ground. And if you do feel like providing lethal aid... Yeah, yeah. Um, or blue-yellow Lithuania. Blue-yellow Lithuania, yes, folks. Uh, well, that's our show today. Those are all the questions. Thank you so much, Igor, for taking the time to come in and speaking with us today and letting us know how we can get involved and telling us about your experiences out there. It was definitely exciting seeing you again and uh, yeah. definitely looking forward to more stories from the ground. You know, as you, whenever you return back out there, by all means, keep us posted. We'll be keeping an eye out for it. Thank you so much for coming in the studio and speaking with us today. It's always a pleasure having you here. Thank you for the invitation. I'm glad that you brought me here and gave me opportunity to share about what Blue Yellow USA is doing on the ground. Okay, folks, that's our episode. Thank you so much for joining us. Until then, this is Will System and David Irons. Take care of yourself, and we'll see you at the next episode. Yeah. Plus, it also helps somebody to Google. You do blue, yellow, USA instead of blue and yellow. U- got yeah. Blue, yellow, USA. Blue, yellow. Got it. But but we have to say you have to say the USA like a pimp name slick back. You have to <laughs> say the whole thing. That's it. So uh, five, four, three. Two. Hang, hang on one second. Let me. Engaged in networks, training programs, and strategic planning. Blue Yellow USA performs advocacy work in Congress while collaborating with organizations like the Helsinki Commission. They are also a member of the American Coalition for Ukraine. Your support is crucial. Donate to help Ukraine through Blue Yellow USA. Google Blue Yellow USA to find their website and social media presence, and please, donate.